0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Nourish and Flourish, a handcrafted, independent publication taking readers on a journey from the soil to the stars. Subscribe today at nourishandflourish.site.
0: This week on Meet and 3, we're examining the true cost of convenience when it comes to when, where, and how we eat.
1: Dark stores enable workers to eat without any kind of thought to how they're getting their food or how it might have come
2: to be. DoorDash, Uber, and Lyft in the past have pledged to spend $90 million to try to exempt themselves from the law.
3: I could be wrong, uh, but I... I think there's going to be significant regulatory pushback on driverless trucks.
0: Tune in to Meet in Three, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: This is Lisa Held coming to you live from full service radio at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. And you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. My guest today is Dave Herring, the executive director of Wolf's Neck Center for Agriculture and the Environment in Freeport, Maine. The center just launched a platform called Open Team, which they're calling the first open source technology ecosystem in the world to address soil health and mitigate climate change. Dave, thanks for coming on the show.
3: Oh, it's my pleasure, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me.
2: So I'm first of all I'm super jealous because you're in Maine and I love Maine. <laughs>
3: so let's just get that out <laughs> well, of the we're, way. <laughs> we're we're welcoming people up here, so we'd love to have you anytime.
2: Yeah, I was actually looking at at where Wolfsneck Neck is, and it looks like it's just north of Portland. Is that right?
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. Well, north I would say north and kind of east. Uh, I'm sorry, north. Yeah, north and east because of the way the Maine coast runs. But yeah, we're we're just. 25 minutes from, 25 or 30 minutes from Portland, so we're kind of part of the greater Portland area, but we're also kind of just on the southern edge of, of what we call the mid-coast region okay. up here in Maine that kind of runs up through kind of the Camden, Rockland, Rockport area.
2: Great. And it's the, the farm is right on the water, is that right? <laughs>
3: It is, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of a crazy, unique place and, and unique scene, and obviously we're going to talk about that, but it's it's spread along four miles of coastline right here in Freeport along, um, there are about 800 conserved acres along the water here in Freeport that make up, um, well, Wolfsneck uh, center as well as Wolfs Neck State Park or Wolf Neck Woods State Park. And it was all owned by the same um, family that, that donated the properties back in the 70s and 80s uh, and, and dedicated them for future generations to enjoy and learn from.
2: Wow. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about the background. It Has it been a farm since the 70s and 80s? Or like what's it, What's the history?
3: Yeah, exactly. So w- Wolfs Neck um, historically known as Wolf's Neck Farm, okay. is made up of about uh, seven different farms that a family purchased over the course of uh, 20 or 30 years in the mid-20th century. So they, they came up vacationing from Philadelphia, actually, hmm. and purchased a summer home here in the area. And as the story goes, they on the way to and from their summer home, they, they started seeing all these farms go on the market and they were really conservation-minded, um, really appreciative of the role that, that local farms uh, play. And, um, and so they purchased uh, all of them um, that mm-hmm. were on the market in the area and, and, um, and essentially over the course of those decades kind of combined them into one operation uh, that, that we know now as Wolfs Neck Center, but okay. for uh, the better part of, of uh, several decades was known as Wolfs Neck Farm. And uh, and they donated all of Wolf's Neck Farm to the University of Southern Maine in the mid '80s. And. Um it didn't, didn't quite work out, I think, as maybe both the family and the university had planned. So okay. after about 10 years, it came back, and, and that's when we started Wolf's Neck Farm Foundation, which is uh, what we know now as Wolf's Neck Center. And, um, and so, yeah, that's just a, kind of a, a quick snippet of the history.
2: Right. And so today, what does the farm look like? Like, what are you producing? And, um, and I, I understand it's not—you're not just producing. It's like a, a research and training center?
3: That's exactly so. I, I you know a lot of times people say, well, what kind what kind of farm are you, and what do you produce? And I, I more often than not, the, the the most accurate answer really is that we produce experiences, mm-hmm. and and that those experiences are, uh, range from somebody coming for a couple-hour visit to walk on our trails, to visit with the animals, maybe take part in an entry-level program, an hour-long program to learn about organic dairy or about pasture management or about the organic uh, fruit and vegetable production, or, or or all the way up to somebody who comes here for a, a two-year experience as part of our organic dairy uh, residential organic dairy farmer training program. So we launched that in 2015 in partnership with Stonyfield. So we actually have um, apprentices who will live and work on site for two years as part of that training program, and that's that's part of a national program called the Dairy Grazing Apprenticeship. Huh. And so there there are farms all over the country that are part of that national training program. That's really kind of designed to um, to seed the the landscape with the next generation of of Kind of pasture-based organic dairy farmers. Interesting. So, um, so mostly we're about experiences, but we also, you know, anytime you're going to farm for tr- for training and research purposes, you you also do have products. And right. So we 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 sell our milk to Stonyfield. We have a small-scale diversified livestock operation where we have some heritage breed pigs and um meat birds um mm-hmm. as well as laying layer uh, laying hens and and eggs we have about 6 acres 5 to 6 acres of uh fruit and vegetable production so mm-hmm. a, a mixture of annuals and perennials so everything from fruit trees to uh other fruits and vegetables that we sell through a small CSA sh- uh program about 30 or 40 shares of CSA but I think the, the bulk of our produce goes through our kind of our on-site channels. So we have um, a farm store, a farm cafe, and we have a, a really wonderful uh, series of events that we partner with local restaurants on to um, highlight our, our bounty here as well as just connect people to our mission and to this place and, and to build our community.
2: Right. And what, what is that mission? Like, What's the overall goal of the center?
3: Sure. So our our mission statement is quite brief, and, and I love it for that. It's transforming mm-hmm. our relationship with farming and food for a healthier planet, hmm. and so that that plays out in in a variety of different ways. But really, we're 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 all about um, reestablishing the connections that you know people have lost over this last uh, century or so. Uh, to where food comes from and mm-hmm. and we feel that because people are no longer uh involved in farming in the way that they once were i mean uh, some some stats that I like to throw out there that hundred years ago ninety five percent of us played a role in in producing food for right. for, for people and and now that number is like two percent, and yeah. so that you know, that you probably know, know similar stats or those stats, and, mm-hmm. and you know, what that means is it. There, there's so many things that that means, and, and, and really none of them are good. It's just been this mass consolidation that has created this disconnect, and, and that disconnect has us thinking that food is should be cheap and should be convenient and available, and, and, and it's, it's not. It, it, it's, uh, there are hidden costs of food that I think we're trying to help people see and understand what goes into to, to farming and to diversified farming. and So we're really trying to reestablish those connections through our, our, our programs and through our experiences, through our events, we have a campground on on site here that has 120 sites right along the water and so that's a, a core part of of kind of a uh, our entry portal if you will where we we have this captive audience of of 25 or thirty thousand people who will come here each year and and so we huh. we're always trying to be creative about ways to connect them with this place and whether right. it's through an experience or through food or or you name it there's there's it's, it's a great way for us to achieve our mission.
2: Yeah. Do, do you use the water at all? Do you farm, like, oysters or anything like that? Like, being right on the coast, that's such a kind of interesting opportunity to have both land and ocean-based farming.
3: It totally is, and I, I'm glad you asked that question, Lisa. So we, right now, we're do not we not involved in any enterprises that okay. involve the water. So the working waterfront in Freeport and, and where we are here is is heavily tidal. Mm-hmm. So it is a productive clam flat, and there are um, there are commercial clammers that are outworking the flats here um, throughout the year. Uh, aquaculture is a growing uh, an area of growing interest, certainly uh, you know along the coast and Maine, and certainly in Maine as well. And mm-hmm. so we are we are. Um, Interested in finding the right partners uh, with whom to partner with on on food production on uh, offshore as well as onshore, and right. so we're we're in discussions and really just trying to to figure out what the right approach is. You know, it's not our core competency, um, but because, like you said, because we have this place on the water and this this mission that could could very well translate to to. Food production off offshore, we're we're interested and in, and in in discussions.
2: Yeah, I think my mind is just like on that because last week I my guest was talking about uh, farming seaweed and oysters, <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, oh, you know, normally we're always talking about land based farming, and that's just been on my mind. Um,
3: yep. Yep.
2: Yeah, and and then the other thing I, I noticed on your um your website that um you use the term regenerative agriculture a lot. Um, that's kind of this growing, you know, there's growing interest in regenerative agriculture and people are talking about it in lots of different ways. Um, Has that been a focus of Wolf's Neck for a long time? Is that, or is that a new project? And can you talk a little bit about what that means? Um, Like how you approach regenerative agriculture?
3: Definitely, definitely. So, you know, the term regenerative agriculture it is relatively new. Mm-hmm. Uh, the practices certainly are not. Um, and so, uh, you know, historically, the way that farming has happened here at Wolf's Neck definitely fits into uh, what, what most people are considering uh, regenerative agriculture. Right. Uh, has it always been called regenerative agriculture here? No. We, we called it, um, and actually in the, kind of the, in the founding documents, it, we, we called it alternative farming. Huh. And that was kind of a precursor to, uh, to organic farming.
2: Well, and um, and the funny thing yeah. is, you called it alternative, and probably if you went back like a couple decades before that, it would have been traditional farming, <laughs>
3: right? Like, you know, that's very true. Like before, that's very true. Before
2: we changed the, yeah, that's kind of a. Anyway, sorry, so I didn't mean to interrupt. We're coming. <laughs> yeah, we're coming
3: full circle, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, um, so yeah, I mean I th- so the the regenerative for us has been um an exploration into uh the connection really between agriculture and climate. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's that's clearly uh become a big uh a big area of uh conversation and study and um, you know, there's a growing consciousness around the role that Agriculture plays within climate and 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 within the environment, and so about um, six years ago, we set um, we set kind of a new course for Wolf's Neck that had us kind of repositioning as a training farm, uh, recommitting to this place as 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 um, uh, an educational farm, mm-hmm. and as a research farm. And so I think that the the and for us the regenerative piece is. is Though we're calling it regenerative now, it's always been here. And it, it I think when we kind of discovered that this was a, a movement that we kind of were already a part of, it felt very normal for us to just then begin to use that terminology. And that's not the only term that we'll use. I mean, there are, and there are a lot of terms I'm sure that you see being used yeah. somewhat interchangeably. I mean, you certainly see agroecology. Right. And, you know, biodynamic farming. I mean, there's there's a number of different terms that are uh, nearly interchangeable, but but not entirely. And, and of course, there there's a lot of interpretation in terms of how people um, how people define and use those those terms. You know, the, the the I think that the simplest way for to think about it, and the way that we think about it, is that regenerative agriculture is about outcomes on the land mm-hmm. and, and and in the soil. And so, uh, because a lot of times I'll hear people say, well, what's the difference between organic and regenerative? And, right. you know, or, organic is, uh, it's a standard that's that's based on actions, essentially. And, mm-hmm. and, and those actions are kind of what happens at the beginning of the process, I, I you know. Like the regulating inputs. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The farmer put this on the land or didn't do this or fed their animals this or didn't feed their animals this. And and certainly, you know, I think within the core spirit of organic agriculture, the the desired outcomes are very, very much aligned with regenerative agriculture. Um, But regenerative agriculture, I would say, is, it's really less, of maybe about a label, or or, uh, and really more about science, and really more about the outcomes uh, on the land. And are we building soil health? And that is the the wonderful thing about that is that that's quantifiable. That we can, we can determine, uh, or should be able to determine. If we, are, if we are regenerative. And so um, that's, that's a big part of what we've been focused on. And, and I heard you reference Open Team in your mm-hmm. opening remarks. And so that's really where that project came from was our desire to find a way to help farms uh, quantify their outcomes. And, and not just for the farmer, uh, but also for uh, the consumer who might want to know if the company that they're buying food from uh, sourced their products and their ingredients from regenerative farms right. and from farms that are, that are improving soil health that are and farms that are um, increasing biodiversity, that are improving air and water quality and kind of all of those things that kind of fall under the umbrella of ecosystem services. And uh, and those things also can be can be quantified, and so we're we're teaming with kind of a, a global collaborative, essentially, of universities and uh, technology companies, with food companies and with government agencies, all who are uh, essentially already working in this space. But um, but I think what we found through a convening that we hosted uh, in Florida. Uh, uh, two or three years ago, with the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research, was that all of these? There are a number of different activities happening out there, especially related to um, kind of the digital space, that I, I think weren't as collaborative as as we think that they needed to be. And and they agreed, and so we formed this collaborative called Open Team that that essentially just launched this year with funding from from that foundation from from FAR. And, um, and so we're, we're thrilled about that project. We feel like it's a great fit for our work here, and it gives us an opportunity to, um, to work with a, a bunch of great partners to, to really try and um, help advance the movement, if you will, uh, around being able to, to measure and quantify and report what's happening on our farms. Because that's to, to us, I think that that's a, a real... And to many others, that's a real missing link in terms of how are we going to scale up a form of agriculture that can be part of the solution to climate change.
2: Absolutely. Um, I think this is, we need to take a quick commercial break, and I think this is a good point to do that because I want to ask you a lot more about Open Team. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll dig into Open Team.
1: This episode is brought to you by Nourish and Flourish, a handcrafted, independent publication taking readers on a journey from the soil to the stars. Nourish and Flourish showcases thought provoking stories from around the world and stunning photography. Each issue explores emerging trends in food, nutrition, recipes, soil health, technology, regenerative agriculture, travel, and more. Volume 1 of Nourish and Flourish includes features on the Svalbard Global Seed Bank, the International Symposium on Bread, and ancient Hawaiian aquaculture. Are you interested in eating healthier and learning more about where your food comes from and living a more connected life? Subscribe today at nourishandflourish.site. For $29.99, you'll receive three issues. That's 38% off the retail price. Nourish and Flourish connecting readers with the people and stories that make a difference in living a more balanced, healthier life. Subscribe today or find a retailer near you at nourishandflourish.site.
2: Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Katie Kiefer, and I'm the host of What Doesn't Kill You here on HRN. Every week I sit down with journalists, authors, scientists, or activists to identify and explain some of the key issues in our food system. I've done shows on food waste, labor issues, meat production, water, you name it, I cover it. You can find What Doesn't Kill You wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. All right, we're back. This is Lisa Held. You're listening to The Farm Report. I'm here with Dave Herring from Wolf's Neck Center, and we're talking now about OpenTeam, a new initiative that just launched in September. So Dave, you were talking about how um, OpenTeam is about measuring and quantifying, reporting what's happening um, on our farms. I, I was looking at the materials on it, and it's described as an open source technology ecosystem. I have no idea what that means.
3: <laughs> so, <laughs> so
2: I, you know, I sort of like, there's all this language about how it's this tech ecosystem. Like, I can you just sort of give us the like, what is it? What is Open Team? What does it actually do? You got do? it. And
3: <laughs> you got it. And it, it, it is not an easy project to understand, nor, nor is it an easy, easy project necessarily to communicate about. Mm. In part because it has so many different layers, or so many different kind of um, uh, different values that that will apply to uh, different people. So yeah. I'll talk I'll talk about it from uh, a variety of different perspectives and do my best to to uh, specify from whose perspective I'm talking about. Okay. So let's start with well, let's and before I jump into that open source is essentially the opposite of proprietary mm. so if you think about it this way so by by creating a platform using an open source that is accessible and 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 free and 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 known to others it really helps provide um, a culture and a spirit of, uh, of collaboration and of innovation. And, and so one of the things that we like is, let's not compete on the science. Okay. Let's, uh, you know, and so let's, let's all work together. And by having, having an open source platform really um, enhances the opportunity of developers, of uh, hardware and software companies, and then it also gives access to researchers and companies that that would potentially value that data either f- to help out, help build out data sets for their research or for companies to help um, use aggregated information from the system to be able to um, uh, report out on their on their um, uh, sourcing practices, et cetera. So that I, I guess it was important just to speak specifically to what what's this whole open source thing about? Okay. So, from a farmer perspective, so let's start with a farmer. Farmers are there. There are a number of different tools, uh, technological tools that are developing out there that farmers could potentially be using. Uh, but uh, and, and one of them is uh, is is just a, a management. System, a digital management software system, okay. where they are inputting their information. It's kind of for record keeping. It's for tracking what they did, where they put their animals, how much they fed, and that information uh, historically has been uh, stored either just in paper files uh, on notepads, or maybe in spreadsheets or on whiteboards. Mm-hmm. And so we're really with this platform. We're really trying to kind of help advance. Um, a more efficient and uh, a more um, kind of uh, technological uh, approach to managing farms. Okay. So farmers enter all of their information, all of their actions. and And by doing that and by creating this platform where we can connect in with all of these other different tools that are out there, the idea is that you would enter, a farmer would enter in their information once and they would get Access to a variety of other systems and and feedback. So one way to think about that is um, it's almost like a a, a Google account for a farmer. So when you sign into your Google account, you you, you know if you hop on to hop onto Google or or hop onto Facebook or hop onto YouTube or hop onto any of these other things, you're essentially already you're already logged in. You don't have to keep logging in and logging out. And so that's that's a that's kind of a piece of what this project will do or one of dozens of benefits of for what this project will do is we're we're essentially creating interoperability between all these different things happening out there all these different advancements that are happening out there that unless there's a convening force a kind of a trusted third-party nonprofit like WolfSnack coming to the table and saying we have to create this so that simply for the greater good you know it it just it it it's not that's necess- it hasn't it's not happening out there and so we felt like that was a real need and and when we talked to a number of our partners that was it was clear that that was the case it's it's a project that many universities and food companies and others have a uh, a great deal of interest in but none of them could ne- could necessarily launch it in the way that we could simply because we're we're a nonprofit organization with a mission and and um so that, that's kind of our, our role within it. So there, right. that's the farmer piece. From a, from a food company piece, there's, um, there's, and as we're seeing, there's increasing amount of um, desire for consumers to understand more about the sourcing practices for, from the companies that they're purchasing from. Right. And that, that, that's only going to grow. And so, and, and we're seeing that a bit with, you know, so let's take Applegate, for example, real quick. They're launching, uh, and I don't remember the name of it, uh, New Food Collective, mm. I, I, I think is what it is. They're launching a new line of, of products. Um, I think it's maybe like a sub brand um, of theirs that is um, purported to be all from regenerative farms. Okay. And and I think that that's amazing. And yet I also know that they are, um, a- as with any time that you put out kind of a big ambition like that, I think they're going to be working hard to figure out, okay, how do how does that all work, and how can we quantify that, and how can we we report out on that, and how can we guarantee that the farms that we're sourcing from are are regenerative farms. Mm. And so you know there are companies like that that are out there and certainly Stonyfield is 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 our was our our founding corporate partner on this and and Stonyfield kind of has a history of leading on initiatives like this and being a leader kind of in the sustainability space and and um, and so they're, from a food company perspective, General Mills is also a partner and, and has recently um, committed to sourcing, I think, I don't remember how many acres of oats regeneratively, but also same kind of thing. I think they're, they're really interested in figuring out how, how a project like Open Team and a platform like Open Team can help them accomplish their corporate goals around sustainability and, and transparency in their sourcing practices.
2: So with the... In that case, would the company be using the, the technology um, sort of like they'd be using it to check on their farms and keep track of their farm, the farms they're sourcing from and their practices, or would the consumer actually be using the technology?
3: Good question. The farmer would be using their technology. So so a big part of kind of the, the implementation uh, and the launch of Open Team is that we are developing hub farms, of which Wolf's Neck is essentially the the, four, the first hub farm, and and there there will be dozens of other hub farms located throughout the country and, and around the world that are all going to be and have been identified based on uh, well a so that they represent a diversity of of geographic areas and of. Um, uh different types and scales of production systems. Okay. Uh, but but also uh within certain supply chains. So uh Stonyfield will have farm a, a farm or two within their supply chain and certainly Stone Woolsnack is one of them that will be a hub farm and 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 there will be there are hub farms that are developed that we're developing elsewhere throughout the country and and around the world that essentially will be testing Uh, this interconnection of of all of these various systems, as well as the the platform that the farmers are going to be using. And once we kind of go through this um, kind of R&D process, if you will, on these hub farms and work out those kinks, the idea is that and the vision is that we will then begin implementing this on farms uh, at a much larger scale. And so the, the idea is that eventually all farms would be using a platform like Open Team or using Open Team um, to to both enter their data as well as provide feedback and and reporting and verification to either directly to their consumers um, through some platform that has maybe yet to be um, determined or or directly to the companies that are purchasing their food in the case of a wholesale business like. Uh, well, to some degree, like our, our organic dairy, where we sell directly to Stonyfield.
2: Right. Can you give an example of the kind of data that a farmer would be putting into the system?
3: Sure. So so data that a farmer would input would be, okay, I moved these 40 cows onto Paddock G on the west side of Middle Bay, and they graze there for uh Three three days. Then I moved them across the field to paddock F, and where they grazed for two days. Okay. Um, And uh, and then they came uh, back into the barn, and I fed them this ration of uh, grain as well as mixed forages. Um, So it's 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 their actions that they're putting in there, Uh, and and the idea is that then and and I haven't completely finished uh, describing the, the, the cycle of, of Open Team or, or the, the, the loop of Open Team, but okay. the idea is that, that there will be a variety of sensing systems um, in place. So either, sat- that there, or not either, but all of the above, satellite imagery, um, uh, remote sensing, in-ground sensors, cameras, uh, there are a variety of uh, um, drones, there are a variety of different uh, advancements that are, that are going to be part of this um, um, kind of uh, sensing and, and, and analytics process that, that will um, help provide a feedback loop. And help provide data that will go into things like agroecosystem models that will help determine kind of what what the farmer's next move should be, mm. um, and help inform their practices in subsequent seasons and in future years. And they'll they'll be able to look back at their records and see, okay, well. I did these things this year, and I, it, I, it com- that combined with this weather data and this sensing systems that were in place, these are the outcomes that I created. And, and it, will, um, it will become increasingly sophisticated over time as more data is entered and as more, um, more time has passed so that eventually they're going to be able to get kind of uh, recommendations, site-specific recommendations, so that farmers can move towards a more adaptive management style. Hmm. where they're where they're um, continually improving their practices and and in turn continually improving uh, the natural resources, uh, soil health and and air and water quality and biodiversity and and uh, et cetera.
2: So that's where the you know it's sort of being pitched as the system that will address soil health and mitigate climate change, and that's where that would come in because you're essentially taking the data and then using the data to improve agricultural practices. Which, then, in turn, will have an impact on the environment
3: exactly okay exactly and 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 the goal here is that um, we you know we 're talking about regenerative agriculture and and knowing uh, knowing what we want to improve and if if we have we farm with a, a, a lot of assumptions, and those mm-hmm. assumptions are based on our own personal experiences on farm, maybe the the experiences of others that we learned from or have worked with, and and really a system like this is um, is going to be used to help validate those assumptions and challenge those assumptions, and we may discover, you know what. Doing our rotational grazing uh in this way doesn't actually build soil health, but if we do it this way, it does and um you know so there's a lot and th- and that's really and we haven 't really spoken necessarily to the research angle of this, but there's mm. a lot of research being done out there and researchers that we 're partnering with are are honestly kind of clamoring at the at the possibility of building out their data sets and being able to have a a lot more information to, to test their hypotheses and really to be able to determine, okay, wow. So I, I, we, we tested this on three farms, but now I have information from three, 3,000 farms about this. And that really helps strengthen their, their case and, and, and their story, depending on what it is they're working on.
2: Right. Yeah. I, I mean, it's really fascinating. And, and um, also I <laughs> definitely understand why this is Difficult to communicate about. Like it's, it's super super complex, you know, and and um, it's it's not something you can easily visualize. I think as a yeah. you know, um, as a consumer or maybe even a farmer. Um, but you know, the the thing that comes to mind for me in talking about this is it, it seems like such a such an incredible um, project, but. I guess at this point in time, are there enough farms to even be collecting this kind of data from? And, you know, my mind goes to, well, most farms are still farming in ways that, you know, are not regenerative, you know, monoculture crops and concentrated animal feeding operations. And and mm-hmm. how do we, it's sort of putting all these resources into making regenerative better. Does that, it doesn't really address getting farms that aren't regenerative to switch over?
3: You know, that's a great point. And, you know, I think that there are a lot of a lot of organizations and and um, businesses out there that are working on various aspects of of, of this movement of essentially what we call uh, an essential agricultural revolution that needs to happen mm-hmm. because when when you when you think when you read stats like from from scientists at at the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization that that say within. Within sixty years, all global topsoil could be gone right um it's like we're 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 well past the point of needing to have a sense of urgency we're 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 in a critical spot, mm-hmm. and so you know, no one entity can do everything, but but everybody needs to do something. And, and right. you know, I think we're heartened to see other efforts, whether it's things like the Four Per Thousand Initiative or Kiss the Ground or, you know, work happening at partner farms and organizations like Stone Barn Center and, and Rodale and, you know, obviously a lot of great companies out there from Patagonia and Stonyfield and, and others who, you know, are really taking leadership roles. And I, I think that that our feeling is that really the the biggest change agents that are out there are uh, each and every one of us uh, as consumers and 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 you know I, I have young kids and and uh, I also have uh, relatives who are are millennials who uh, I, I I am not um, but but I, I, my sense is that the questions that these younger people are asking. About their food didn't didn't cross the minds of myself or other people in my in my um in, in my generation, mm-hmm. I guess, and certainly didn't cross the cross the minds of people in the generation before us because in some ways it's it's that generation that that grew up in the forties and fifties that that was very much part of of kind of you know, more of a, a chemical agriculture and industrial agriculture that we're we're really working toward to to unravel at this point and try and, and try and kind of take back take back the land, if you will, and mm-hmm. and uh, and work with it and, instead of against it. And so, um, you know, our hope is that a platform like Open Team will help. And this is actually another benefit that I, I didn't have not mention, but our hope is that farmers in, in the future are being paid for things beyond just their product. Mm-hmm. They're, they're being paid for the services that they are providing to society. And those services would come in the form of, of carbon carbon sequestration or ecosystem services or both. And And our feeling is that a, a project like Open Team could help provide the basis for those, uh, those platforms. Things like the Teraton Initiative at, in- at Indigo Ag, which is terrifically ambitious, and-, and our hope is that Open Team can play a role in, in helping advance that. And-, and so, you know, I think when, when farmers are continually crunched on pricing and-, and-, and making very little margin, there's gonna come a time when we need to reward the farmers who are doing things the right way. Right. And 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 consumers can choose can choose to do that and companies can can choose to source from those from those farmers. And our our hope is that a project like Open Team really helps strengthen that movement and and fits in um, kind of some of the missing links that that are are really required to advance this this revolution.
2: Right. That, that reminds me of something I wanted to ask you about um, in terms of farmers being paid for ecosystem services. One thing that I think a lot of people have mentioned to me in the last few months is um, in that movement, it seems like um, there's some confusion or uncertainty about measuring carbon sequestration. Is Open mm-hmm. Team looking at that at all? You know, it's sort of this big question like, well, we know certain practices help increase carbon in the soil but how like how will we actually measure what farmers are are doing sure yeah
3: You know, and Open Team is definitely looking at that and definitely partnering. A number of the partners within Open Team are specifically working on initiatives like that. So there's an initiative that grew out of Yale called the Quick Carbon Project, um, where they have um, this really amazing little handheld device that you put a spoonful of soil in, and it gives you a quick analysis based on um, LED lighting and the refraction of the light within the soil and stuff that 's like well beyond my my understanding mm-hmm. essentially but but it 's it 's a method for determining how much carbon is in that soil and and so they're in, and they are part they're one of the the partners in open team, and so there are a number of initiatives that are out there that are, are advancing around this need to determine, um, you know, are, are we sequestering carbon through these farming practices? And, and so the hope is that by creating this platform and creating this kind of, this feedback loop with a variety of these, these different analytics kind of um, plugged in to the system essentially, uh, our hope is that we 're able to provide that type of verification that that companies will need and that farmers will need and and that consumers want
2: right um what 's the timeline like so you know it sort of was announced that open team launched. Does that mean that data is already being collected right now as we speak, and like when will it be? When will it sort of be a thing that farmers could use as a as a tool and a resource? Um, is it going to take a while to build up the data?
3: So uh, all good questions. So Open Team. This, <laughs> all at <it> <laughs> once. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> ten, so I'm see if questions I can in those. a row. <laughs> yeah, one at a time or or maybe just provide kind of a narrative that maybe answers all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so Open Team right now, as it stands, is a five-year project. Okay and um that being said i i think that all of us who are involved in it i think are increasingly uh understanding and and expecting that it it essentially will be phase 1 of a multi-phase project um and but but essentially our hope is that by the end of 5 years our hope is that there are thousands of farms using open team in the way that we have described
0: okay. and
3: that that during those first during the first few years, our focus is really on um, creating interoperability between a variety all, all, all these various systems and analytics that are out there. Uh, building out the user platform using a human-centered design process, and really making sure that it is uh, it's going to work for the farmer in the way that it needs to and um and and then once we have kind of built that out and tested it on a core group of of a dozen or more hub farms the idea then is that we begin implementing it through supply chains and through different production systems and, and in different countries so that we can then um, be prepared for a, uh, kind of a, a bigger rollout probably in years four and five where we go from, you know, after years one and two, a couple dozen farms to years three and three to four where, you know, it would probably be more like a 100 farms uh, or more to years four and five where it would essentially then go quickly from a couple of hundred farms to a couple thousand or more farms.
2: Got it. Okay. So it's going to ramp up pretty quickly.
3: (laughs) Yeah, you know, we think so. And I mean, a good example of that, so let's take, um, we could take like uh, Stonyfield for example, because they're a founding partner. They, they, They source from um, well, thousands of farms, when you consider the purchasing that they 're making mm-hmm. through through their partner at crop, but um you know I think their hope is that they can test this on on a handful of farms and and be a core part of open team, and that they 'll get to a point where then implementing it across their supply chain will be um will be an, a relatively easy thing to do because they were involved at, at the ground floor of of testing and of developing and 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 kind of as part of that R&D process so there's a real benefit i guess of being being in early and and i, say, I think cer- certainly that's where stonyfield is coming from
2: right absolutely well, Dave, thank you so much for, for being here and for uh, talking us through Open Team. Um, I'm, I feel like we're gonna need to check in on it in a couple of years to see, like, <laughs> you know, where, where it's at and kind <laughs> of get a um, an update. Um, I'm really I'm excited to to see where
3: it goes. Well, we are too. I really enjoyed and appreciate the opportunity, Lisa, and, and and happy to provide that update in in due time. And it might even be be nice along the way to check in with a partner or two within Open Teams so that they can kind of share their testimonial and their story of of how it's helping advance their goals and and what they're working on. And and of course, Lisa, if you want to come up to Maine and see it all in action and and get a tour of Wolfsnack, Snack, we're happy to do that for you.
2: Definitely, let's make that happen. <laughs> all right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to the Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. I'll see you next week.
1: This program is powered by Simplecast.
2: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter.